0: Welcome to the Driven Entrepreneur, where we sit down with visionaries, trailblazers, and entrepreneurs and discover why and how they do what they do.
1: We'll get the backstory plus plenty of life and business lessons along the way. Here's your host, Matt Browning. Hey, this episode is brought to you by in the complete course workbook, the same one that we use to teach our live certification classes, yours free. NLPwithMatt.com, Get it today. Let's get back to the show. What's up? What's up, entrepreneurs? Hey, it's Matt Browning, driven entrepreneur, and we're back, back in the saddle again. And uh, you know, this week I have had some interesting things happening in my life. We have this <laughs> this little wiener dog a. Dashhound, Dachshund, whatever you want to call him, little mini wiener dog. His name's Hudson, and you know, entrepreneur life is you know for a lot of this year. I've been home a ton more of my family, so we're going on dog walks. We're going to the dog park, and you know, just kind of hanging out. And I realized that when he was a puppy, we were training him pretty well. I watched a lot of Dog Whisperer. We've had dogs before. I thought I was a pretty decent. I don't know, you know, dog. I understand dog psychology somewhat and we're doing all the right things but then little by little he started getting really like finicky and he started be you know being a little bit I don't know, aggressive or you know with certain puppies and different things and now he's becoming this really annoying whiny dog and we're trying to figure out what to do so this week i hope that if you have a pet or if you ever will have a pet if you have a dog if you have a kid who wants a dog this week is for you um I invited on someone that I met at a conference that I was just so blown away by. This person is an Army veteran. He's a dog trainer, and he has been training in the military, training elite Army canines. And he's now gone on to train over 3,000 civilian dogs. And it's a, a very interesting process. My guest, Ryan Matthews, is not just an inspirational speaker and a dog trainer and an author and a decorated veteran, but he also is now combining using the dog training skills to help veterans and other people going through traumas, recover from PTSD using dog training techniques. And we're going to get into the psychology of it. We're also going to get into, of course, the real tangible, how the heck do you get a wonder dog? But without any further ado, Ryan Matthews, welcome to the show. How are you?
0: Hi, Matt. Thank you so much for the introduction. I'm doing great, man. Thanks for having me.
1: I've already been enjoying our little pre-tape talk, uh, so I want to jump right in with you. Um, So, you were were you part of the army training, or were you? Is this like an outside that the army would bring in to be a dog trainer? Is that a position? Tell me a little bit about your the military background and and how you found dogs and canine department within it.
0: Right. So I was on a deployment to Rijeka, Croatia, which is a really beautiful place right on the water in Croatia. And I remember while they're on deployment, I had seen these two really cool guys. These are two sergeants in the army and they seem super happy all the time. And I'm like, what's these guys' secret? And next thing you know, I see them doing bite protection training where one of them is wearing the big sleeve and the dog's biting them and this kind of stuff. And I was like, oh, wow. That's exactly what I want to do. I've definitely don't have the ideal job here in the army. And so I interviewed them. I asked if I could talk to him and I'm like, how the heck do I become a dog trainer like you? And they told me the process. And about six months later, next thing you know, I'm going to Lackland Air Force Base where they train and certify you as a military working dog handler. That was back in 2002, Matt. Wow. So, I mean, you're coming up on I mean, 20
1: years of dog training ability what's the major difference on and i realize like practical application for military canine versus civilian is probably going to be something maybe with drugs with bombs with different things like that but as far as the psychology of training the dogs is there any major differences between uh military training and like civilian training
0: on a macro level there's not a lot of changes It really, as far as my philosophy, which is known as balanced dog training, which believes in correcting when necessary and rewarding as well. So I believe in both. And you don't always find that in dog training. But on a macro level, the military working dog uh, curriculum also is about rewarding and correction. I think the biggest difference is really that with a military working dog, we are correcting a bit harshly. Uh, These are Ferraris. You know, these dogs have extreme drive versus little Hudson does not have the drive of a Belgian Malinois or- He thinks he does. Yeah, yeah. He thinks he does. And that's, we're going to definitely get into some of that as well, which is going to be really, really fun. So that's overall, a lot of it's the same, but It's also not because we're dealing with two different, very different types of animals as it relates to the type of dogs.
1: Yeah, that makes sense. A little bit like, say, you know, training a a horse in your home barn versus training a racehorse. It's going to be the same, as you said, macro principle, but there's a fine-tuned precision that they need or don't need. You might do more or less for different things. That's really interesting. So uh, how long have you, how long did you end up serving and what caused you to want to enlist in the first place?
0: Wow, that's a that's a deeper story. In short, Matt, I was running away from things here in Southern California that were not very pleasant at all. I'm happy to go deeper if we wanted to. Uh, but essentially, I was running away, man. I was running away from something very uncomfortable where I was afraid for my life. And I went to the Army recruiter and I said, I will sign up right now if you give me two things that I really need. And I said, Number one, I got to get out of here. Station me overseas, please, anywhere, preferably Europe. I said, And number two, do it tonight. Yeah, do it tonight. And number three, <laughs> give me military police. You see, Matt. Like I figure that if okay, I okay, listen,
1: going- Ryan. I'm sorry. You cannot be like you know. I don't need to get into <laughs> this. But I was running for my life. I need MPs, and you need to station me overseas. What's uh, <laughs> what? What's this backstory, man? What as much or as little as you want to talk about. But I, I, like, what are you running from?
0: Yeah, exactly. What am I running from? I love how you phrase that. And that's exactly what it was. You know, they say that there's that saying where if you can't beat them, join them. And that's exactly what I had done. So as a teenager, I found a brick of marijuana, which for your audience, if they don't know what that means, it's just a large sum of marijuana in the middle of the street. And that prompted me to get into a drug dealing career. Where I thought that that's the kind of person I needed to be based upon my circle of friends and even my family members, which are kind of some of them are pretty tough. And so, Um,
1: and I'm going to pretend I don't know what you're talking about either, as if I never had that experience as a teenager. So go on.
0: Yeah. So again, we're, I'm walking to school. This is in high school, and I find this this, it's literally about the shape of a brick that you would use for building something, a home or something. And it ended up being marijuana inside. And when I found it with my friend, he's like, oh man, let's smoke it. And that's when I showed my true entrepreneur colors. And I said, no, we're not going to smoke this. I said, we're going to sell it. And I became addicted. I became addicted to not the drug, but the fact that people needed what I had to offer.
1: Okay. So you go, you're in high school now, 16, 17 years old. Exactly. Yep. Uh, And you're breaking bad. You find a pound of pot or some equivalent and you're off to the races as a drug dealer.
0: That's right. And, you know, I thought I was cool. And you know what I also realized now it took me 30 something years to figure it out, Matt, was that I was always being something that I wasn't. Yeah. I was not being my authentic self. I'm actually not a hardcore guy. I've done hardcore things, but I'm really a very kind and loving type of person. And it took me so long to get there. Uh, And I'm, and I'm glad that I'm there. So again, uh, what happened was one day, my friend essentially tried to rob me of my own drugs. Now, when he tried to rob me, I attempted to stab him because I was taught, you never trust anyone in that kind of world. And when I tried to stab this guy, again, I did not know what I was doing. And the joke is I wasn't cut out for it because I ended up cutting myself while trying to stab this guy when oh, he tried it's to a cut out.
1: Yeah. So you cut yourself as you're trying. I mean, it well, it's like how many times really, you know, you watch the TV and the movies and it's like, oh yeah, people are always stabbing and shooting, but how often genuinely, even in that line of work, so to speak, are you going to get in this situation to be able to, to hone a, a skill? Like, I mean, that, that's crazy. So So you stab yourself. Are you getting in trouble? Are people looking for you now? Is it the cops looking for you? Is it the other, the other turf guys?
0: Exactly. The other turf guys. I like how you phrase that was, you know, essentially threatening to blow my head off with a shotgun. And so when you said, what were you running from? That's what I was running from. I was running from the fact that I thought they were going to shoot me blow my head off with a shotgun. And that's why I decided to go in as MP because military police, I knew that I had to change, but I didn't know how to get there from where I was, Matt.
1: So did you plan on, on actually enlisting going into as an MP or growing to an MP? Yes,
0: Wow. absolutely. So that, that's when I went to the recruiter and I said, I will, I will seriously join right now. I need to be military police and I need to go overseas. I needed to run and I needed to clean up my act is how I can rephrase that as well. So you really knew that, like at that point in this age, are you 18
1: or? I was, I was, let's see. Almost
0: 18? Yeah, I was about 18. Yep.
1: So, so at 18 years old, you had enough foresight to say, okay, I got to get a, I mean, it sounds a lot like dog training. I got to get the correction. I got to get away from this negative and I got to get away from this danger and this bad life choice. But I also, how much of it was away from and how much do you think was towards thinking, you know, I think if I go in the army, I can get a good life and I can have a good future. Was it like 100% away and you didn't think of that? 80-20? Or was it sort of a 50-50? Does that make sense?
0: It does. And so it was twofold. One is, I and this is like, I think super profound for all of us, is that our environment really matters. And I didn't feel like I could get to where I needed or wanted to go based upon my environment. And so one was I knew my environment needed to change. And part of environment was my circle. And so I know that I knew that, should I say, the circle that I was with wouldn't help me get to where I wanted to go. That's right. And, and so I was kind of like wise beyond my years for a teenager. And I guess it was, you know, a gift from somewhere else, an external something that, that gave me that insight. And, I, and I'm so glad that I had some kind of fortitude and wisdom to do something different because I served six years and in 2005, I volunteered to go to the war as a bomb dog handler and, you know, it was really tough. And at the same time, I wouldn't, I wouldn't take any of it back. I'm glad that I did all of it.
1: When, when you were there, uh, where was, so a couple of places, you got deployed definitely. And during the war, which war are we talking about? What's the time frame, And what, were, what, were, what was probably the longest station for you?
0: So I was stationed at multiple duty stations while in, but in 2005, I volunteered to go to M- Missouri Rock with uh, Zito, which is a explosive detection dog. Mm -hmm. And I worked, I was, what's so weird about being a canine handler is that you're kind of like a special operations person in that you, you kind of do your own thing. And so I was fortunate enough to work with those guys. And then I would also be tasked out to work with infantry. And the, at the same time, when you're on your own, you don't have support. So I literally had zero days of training before combat, which is unheard of. Talk to any military people you know that went to the war, they go to like a training center and they train for months, I had zero. And that was also very humbling as well. And I was I was very clueless when I first got there.
1: When you're over there, are you, just for, the, for anyone who doesn't know, and I certainly don't know, um, you talk about being more independent and I get that. It's sort of like the specialist is being called in when needed do you have your own like canine handler unit? And then it's like, Hey, we need two, we need one. And then you go off and then you come back when it's done. Or are you stationed like on your own? Do you have, you're brilliant.
0: So we do, we have a canine section and the canine section would make up various branches of the military. And so like we had some Navy guys, we had some Marines and then we had some army guys. And so what would happen is oh, really, okay. Yeah. So us as a community in Mosul, Different units, such as special operations and infantry, would get a tasking to do a special, uh, some type of raid or some type of search a, a village or something, and then they would call us and say, "We're going out on X, Y, and Z mission. We need canine support." And then they would, the kennel master would say, "Okay, Ryan, you're going to go out with so and so organization. They're going to pick you up tomorrow at 7 a.m." So I didn't. We didn't even have a vehicle. We would literally get picked. It's like before Uber days, we would get picked up and dropped off at the beginning and end of a mission. And it was so crazy because I had often never met these people before. And here we are, trusting each other with our own lives.
1: Wow. And would it be like you and a Navy guy and a Marine might go, or would they always pick three Army guys because it was an Army uh, spot, or would they pick the Navy guys for Navy? How did that work? Because I find it interesting that you'd have. And I want to ask kind of a, a secondary question to that, all connected, um, about loyalty and maybe a subconscious mm-hmm. loyalty. I right. certainly have many friends over the years that are veterans and, and have served in different capacities. Uh, I myself have never had the honor, but I I find that so many people say, you know, the the family, the loyalty, the unit, and what? how does that land when certainly you have the canine unit and maybe it's right. like, is that the first family and army is second? Is it army first? And how does that work? Like, and maybe just in your mind, not necessarily, you know, hierarchically, hierarchy, right. however you say that, with the hierarchy <laughs> of the army uh, or the military branches, but how does that work in your mind, I guess, and in your heart?
0: That's a, I love that question. And well, thank you. Well, you well, know, overseas, things change. When you're garrison, meaning stateside, we give each other a hard time and joke around with the other branches. So it is like army first, as far as, cause I was in the army. Right. And, but overseas when you're deployed and when you're in combat and you know, you're relying on each other as U S military, we're all one for sure. And mission comes first and we do whatever it takes to get the job done. And so we don't see branches at all. It's irrelevant.
1: Well, you don't even see them. So it's not like, Hey, we're going to get along for the sake of the mission. It's like, okay, it's just. This is the new tribe. This is the new unit.
0: Yeah, we need each other, man. Because you know, when you're getting shot at, you're relying on each other, and so you you become you become soulmates real quick.
1: <laughs> I can imagine. Right? Um, let me pivot just a little bit into sort of civilian life. You come off after six years of serving. Um, did you did you want a break from dogs? And I guess what it kind of comes to me is, I think a lot of times when we get into we do something for a career, sometimes the passion or the love for it drops off. Like somebody once, I love rock climbing, and mountaineering, somebody, a good friend said, you should be a guide. And I thought to Mm -hmm. myself, the last thing I want to be is a guide and do this for a business because then come the weekends, the last thing I want to do is go to the mountains. How did you feel about dogs, animals in general training? Did you have a big respite? Did you think that's, uh, that's my past? And then kind of jump back in later? Or did you hit the ground running in civilian clothes and you said, man, give me my dog?
0: It definitely didn't play out as your guests may think. <laughs> after, after the war, I wanted to go back. Okay. But I wanted to go back. And so I should better said, after the war, I got out of the military. I was due to be discharged. And I wanted to go back overseas as a civilian. But I wanted to go back for the money. It was 135000 a year. As a canine handler, and it was purely out of greed. You know, there was a civilian dog handler, and I remember speaking to him, and I was like, "What do you get paid, anyways?" Because you know, they, they didn't work as hard as us. I didn't feel, and he's like, "Yeah, I do about one thirty, 130, one thirty-five a year." And I was like, "Okay, well, now I know exactly what I need to do." Because Matt, I did not grow up with money, and so for me that was very enticing, right? And so I get it. I was um, gonna go, and don't judge me. I'm t- speaking to your listeners now. Is uh, I was gonna go back overseas with Blackwater. Now, for anyone that knows the world of military and government contracts, Blackwater has had a really bad name. They were kind of viewed as mercenaries. right? And I was two weeks away from going to their training and they changed up the contract at the last minute. And they they were smart. And they said, look, when the dog gets tired, you are going to put the dog up and let the dog rest. And then you're going to become an operator and an operator means mercenary, almost like a foot soldier. And they were smart. They were using me uh, as much as they could. That's right. Exactly. And I said, Hey, that's fine. What more do I get paid? They said, absolutely nothing. And I walked away from it. So instead, Matt, instead of going overseas back to combat, I took a civilian contract job to be a drug dog handler in the Marshall Islands, in Micronesia, which is the South Pacific, and the water is the most beautiful you could ever imagine. Visibility from a boat deep down, 150 feet. The
1: government of Micronesia says we want a dog uh, drug handler, and you were like, well, I fit the bill for that. W- why? How did you even consider Micronesia of all places? When you were talking about Europe, you grew up in America, where did that even come on your radar?
0: Well, when I was stationed in Europe, I really discovered my love for travel because when I lived in California, I actually never left the state my whole life, right? Until I joined the army. So I essentially lived in California and then went to Europe and then went to like 20 countries in two years time traveling and stuff. And so I learned this passion for travel, which is so alive in me. And and that's why I wanted to go to Micronesia. Now, one clarifying thing was that I didn't work for the Micronesian government. I worked for the U S government because we have a a small army base in the South Pacific. And it was really cool. It's known as Ronald Reagan ballistic missile defense test site. So you can kind of imagine what's happening there.
1: I I can slightly imagine. Okay. (laughs) So, so you, you do this for a while. Um, when, when, when are you thinking, I want to do this on my own? Um, is, is it, kind of that entrepreneur gene or was it not really about entrepreneurs? It was just more about, Hey, maybe I want some more freedom. I want to be able to do it the way I want. Um, I know, you know, you have an amazing, like an online on demand DIY dog training course that you do. Um, but so like, what was it? Hey, I need to get out of doing how many hours or was it, I want to have a little more control over my life. What brought you to kind of bridging the gap of what you're doing now?
0: Mm. My transition from working dogs into civilian dogs was actually from a woman, uh, a, very, a very special woman. You see, after Micronesia, I drove an ATV over a mountain cliff that all almost killed an ex-girlfriend in and and me, but she was on the back of it. And I essentially moved to Colorado to care for her. And help her get back to being as her new 100%. And when I moved to Colorado to care for her, I didn't know what I was going to do for work. And I ended up buying into a dog training franchise for $12,500. And I became immediately successful. I did ten grand the first month. And so when you ask, you know, what does that transition look like? It was almost by a necessity. That's how I got into pet dog training back in two thousand and eight.
1: Wow! So you say at this point you're you're putting her first, life and rehabilitation first. And what choice do you have? You got to find work. What work do you know? Training dogs. And all of a sudden, here we are.
0: Exactly. And you know that's emotional for me because I she she that. did survive. She did. And she this is just a beautiful light in the world. This woman. And I met her in Micronesia, and I'm so honored to have met her and and experienced life with her. And I'm sad to say that this was back in uh, 2007, I guess. Yeah. Uh, But uh, three years ago, uh, I got a call one day that um, she was on another ATV, and she died. No. And so, yes. And so... That's part of where this emotion stems from. And so when I moved to Colorado, we broke up a year later, but always remained great friends. And I've always loved and respected her.
1: Wow. where did you live in Colorado? Just side note.
0: Sure. So I lived in Fort Collins and had oh, okay. a business in Loveland right off the main highway. I think yep. it was called Eisenhower.
1: Yeah. yeah, gotcha. That's it. I was just wondering, we might have lived there in the same time because I grew up in Orange County, California, but lived in uh, South Boulder, Table Mesa area for... A good little while around around 2007, I think.
0: So, oh wow, interesting times. Well,
1: let's let's pivot from here, and I want to ask just some sort of direct training questions, if I can, for some of the most some of the most common issues. And I'm going to start with the ones I have that I can't get answers to. The first one is uh, the first one is whining. Because usually it's like everything I read and hear and watch on videos is always dog aggression and, you know, walk training and things like that. But I never hear anything about whining. So like we have Mm -hmm. this again, I told you about Hudson, the wiener dog, and he'll be a great dog. But then all of a sudden he'll stare at you and start whining and whether it's whining because he's bored, whining because... He goes into a crate whining, 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 whining. <laughs> what is the, what's your take on that psychology wise? What are we doing? What is he doing? Anything you got for me, I'm in.
0: I, I got a lot for you and I'll try to keep it <laughs> concise so that we can move on to other questions. But I, I recommend that your listeners grab something to write with, because this is going to be really awesome and valuable. Here we so go, when rapid fire to,
1: dog training advice. Let's do it. Here
0: we go. So when it comes to vocalizing, Uh, such as whining, that's a release of frustration. Dogs release frustration in three ways. One is vocalizing, such as whining or barking. The other is spinning, and then lastly, jumping. And so what's happening is Hudson is trying to express something to you, maybe something that he wants or does not want. And what we do is, and this is going to be a game changer for you, Matt, and then your audience, is if we look at ourselves as well, right? So Hudson is whining at you. Now, what are you doing? And I'm willing to bet almost half of my bank account on it. And when Hudson is whining at you, you are most likely looking at Hudson. Right? <laughs> well, yeah. 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 And so the problem with when we look at the dog, we are actually reinforcing because if you think about it, Matt, if you and I were, are in person, when I want to talk to you, I look to you. I look to your eyes. So I am what? Saying I want to communicate. Now, when the animal is whining, we don't want to communicate. We want it to be quiet and go away. And so sometimes by looking away. So
1: then I try to stare him down.
0: <laughs> that's right. Yeah, that's. We <laughs> and don't say, Hey, really. stop it. Yeah, yeah. So that's not working out. And so we know it's not working out because Hudson repeatedly does that every single week. So we right. know that technique is not a, a working. And so number one is let's stop staring at our dogs when we don't want them to. Okay. For the whining. Number two, I believe in compromise. So I also assess does dog need to go potty. Now, I do not allow dogs to say, this is what I need. This is what I want all the time because then they are leading me and I need, we all need to lead our dogs. Now, I, But I will compromise and look into account, have I been acknowledging my dog as I should today or has my dog been neglected? Is there a need that I need to fulfill within my dog? That's so really that, good. That also matters, right? Potty break, food or something like that. Now, that does not mean that when my dog comes and whines to me that I get up and go feed my dog. No. Because now I I'm still- just
1: reinforcing that the way you should get my attention is to whine because it works, right? Just like a kid.
0: Yes. But if we play chess and not checkers with our dog on Come a on. higher level of intellect, then what we do is I say, yes, I will feed you. However, I wait till you go lay down on your own. And then once the dog lays down on their own, I'm like good choice, go feed him. Right? So, so I stored it away and saved it for later.
1: Okay. So quick example. So I'm sitting on the couch, we're minding our own business. He comes up, he looks up and he starts whining. Normally we're going to look down and be like, oh, and then he looks at me and whines again. And then I say, <laughs> Ch-, or stop or whatever. Right. And then he stops for a second, but he still stares. Now he comes and looks, we're just going to look away and ignore him. And yes. just, and what if he keeps on what you just keep ignoring him? Is there anything to, you don't correct anything. You just ignore it until he yes. eventually wanders off. He lies down on his bed. Then if it's time to eat or time to potty, then I get up and take him then.
0: Okay. I, I love how you phrase that. And so what I gave you was phase one, option one. What's cool, Matt, is gotcha. there's more than one way to train a dog. And sure. so you kind of alluded to it. So thank you for that. You're, you're sharper than most with dogs for sure. Is that <laughs> a correction is a great idea. Now, not all of your audience will be open to that and that's okay. Again, I'm a big believer in correcting for things we don't like and rewarding for things we do like. And well, so what you, I would,
1: can, yeah. real quick, just before you get into that, can you just give a distinction between punishment and correction? I think that's the sticking mm. point maybe.
0: Right. It's sometimes it's a play on words and perception about how we view those words. And so the way I work as it relates to punishment or correction, because punishment could be looking away, right? Depending on the dog and their mindset, right? That could be viewed as punishment from the animal. But as it relates to punishment or correction, for me, it's about how can I stop the behavior with the least amount of effort possible and it sticks. See, I can cease a behavior But when it repeats again an hour later, a a minute later, or next week, then it hasn't landed in the animal's brain. Okay. And so that's why the correction does need to have a certain level of understanding and almost call it um, seriousness for it to stick. So the behavior does not continue to repeat. Okay. And that's where people lose off. Now, how can we do that? Well, there's many ways. As it relates to your example, Matt, You can use a shaker can, which is just an empty can with some pennies inside or quarters if you're rich. (laughs) It's empty, tape on top, (laughs) and you shake that thing like a little rattlesnake sound, okay? That may work for Hudson for a week, but then he may get immune to it and not care. And it all depends upon the dog. Another option is you could do like a spray spray bottle, should I say, with just some water inside.
1: And we have done that, and he responds amazing. Where I think we maybe sprayed him once with a light mist. He didn't like it. And now if I just pick it up and aim it at him, he stops.
0: Right. And so then the secret then, Matt, is you put one of those spray bottles in every room in the house. And that way, now here's, here's how we phase out the, the bottle. That's genius. Is The way you phase the bottle out, this is next level genius, is when Hudson makes a good choice. That's how I like to phrase it. It's like, hey, good choice. So what would be a good choice in the instance of your example? That is, he chooses to be quiet. Okay? And so when he chooses to be quiet, you're mellow, but you give a very high value reward such as cheese or chicken or dried liver or something like that. Ooh, high value. So not yeah, just like value. a little dog bone or something. No milk bone, no milk bone, not high enough value. And so that's why we. It's the next really phase good. is you reward when impressed. And now if you think about like a surprise and delight, which we have one for your audience, right? And so if we wow your audience, they're like, wow, I really want to get to know this Ryan guy. I want more. Same holds true with your dog right? As it relates to positive reinforcement. And so why give milk bone? when We could give something more valuable and it's like, wow, that's a surprise and delight. Didn't expect that coming. What did I do for you to give me that? Then you get the dog's wheels start to spin. Then that's called offering behavior, right? Where the dog starts problem solving on their own. And then that's a very high level of dog training. It's very fun. Man, this is
1: genius. Again, what I love (laughs) is We talk about something that, and I've studied this, you know, to the extent that a a civilian dog owner, non-trainer studies, right? And and I understand the basic concepts, maybe even better than some, worse than others. But this is genius where it's like just that that clarity, those little distinctions of the high value reward and exactly when to give the high value reward. And I'm assuming Mm. this goes with affection and everything else. Can we talk about... The other major classic which is dog aggression um and i think our dog's a good example of this i've had dogs that were wonderful i've had dogs that had major issues but usually in my life at least it's been this gradual you know i take the dog for a walk and we keep going and we've even taken hudson since he was you know two three months old whatever year whatever week it was to the dog park regularly multiple times a week we try our very best to introduce him to people and he, and he was playing wonderfully But little by little, he started having issues with bigger dogs and puppies specifically. Mm. And he's just starting, like I see those signs, right? He's starting to become, I can't trust you. Why are you starting to flip out a little more? And they're going beyond playing. Can you speak to how the aggression shows up? And if you still have time, I want to keep going on this. We're a little bit over, but that's going to be just fine. Um, We'll probably break into two parts on the radio. That's cool. And one big podcast. So How does dog aggression come about? How can we prevent it? Maybe A, and then B, when we know we're getting some or we have it, what do we do about it?
0: Wow. So this this answer is going to be going way deeper than what you and your audience potentially had thought it would go. And it's it's going to be really eye-opening. And so you said some really great things and you alluded to some beautiful things as well. And so aggression works like this on a macro level aggression stems from an invasion of space. And so Hudson is fine when a dog is a mile away. Hudson is fine when a dog is a hundred yards away. Hudson may not be fine when the dog is 10 inches away. Okay, so Is it
1: possession or is it spatial or is it both?
0: Well, we could argue that that possessive and spatial is the same because it doesn't matter if it's a bone, food, a dog bed, or get out of my personal bubble I'm laying down, it's an invasion of space, meaning the animal is possessive of their space, right? Okay. Now, you also said something about where taking to dog park and that this aggression or however we want to, fra- maybe reactivity, maybe it's not aggression. That's a good word. Has, has progressed and there's a difference. So reactive just means um, I don't want to cause a problem. I'm just a bit worked up because... I'm too stressed. You,
1: you know, what's see. interesting is I, th- I think he started a little more like that where he was always fine, but every now and again, there was this other dog who yes. clearly had some kind of weird issue and then he'd come over and bother him. And then as a little dog, he'd go, Hey, and he put him in his place and then he would stop and go back to normal, which I thought was fairly healthy. But then he started being the one who I'm like, oh, I got to go get him.
0: <laughs> right. Now, here's the thing is you're you're hitting it all right on for sure. Here's Damn the I. secret. Here's the secret everyone. <laughs> yeah, what's the secret? The secret is that we need to avoid dog parks. And that's not what we want <laughs> to hear. Okay? Now here's why. <laughs> I love you for that. <laughs> here's why. Number 1, you have great intentions. You want to get your dog exercise. I love that, respect that, value it. I teach dogs to run treadmills. Exercise is so important. Number 2, Most of the people in the dog park are on their cell phone.
1: And we think we want to socialize them is really the idea.
0: Correct. Yeah. Now, yes. Or it's a socializing thing. Now, here's the problem is you have a group of people who are responsible dog owners that I misphrased it. You have a group of people that want to do the right thing by their dog. They just don't know what they don't know. And so you have a group of people that have their dogs off-leash, which is uncommon for them, and nearly no one will have off-leash control, as in don't do that when you're off-leash. correct. Such as come here while you're off-leash. Nearly no one will have control. Number two is nearly no one knows enough about dog behavior and psychology to assess when the play is getting out of hand. And number three is you have a group of people that nearly no one knows how to break up a dog fight because dog fights happen at a group, uh, sorry, in dog parks every single day. And trust me, I've, that's how I started was I studied dog parks.
1: Well, and I'll tell you, I, I, and I've watched those too. I mean, you know, I, I watch people and it just, I, I cringe because all of a sudden the two dogs start getting into it. And then here you got two people are reaching in with their hands and trying to grab the dogs by the collar. And it's like, what a way to get bit. Not a great idea. Correct. Um, so Mark. stay out. Of, oh, and then what, what about this too? And I think like that pack mentality, I always think I'm sitting in the dog park and maybe there's 10 dogs. I go, gosh, here's this kind of temporary pack. And I watch how sometimes it'll become calm. Maybe there's six dogs and they kind of, they, they sorted each other out and, they, and everyone's okay. Some mm-hmm. dogs play, some dogs stay at the own, but they're all just kind of working themselves out for like 10 minutes. Right. A new dog comes in and all of a sudden you have a whole new pack and then a right. dog leaves and then another dog comes and it's like, it's constantly changing. Yes. Does that create like levels of anxiety for the whole temporary pack? If that's even a right way to say that?
0: It's a great way to say it. And we could also say it as, It's a shift in the energy.
1: Shift in the energy, yeah.
0: Because because like we all got to know each other and we have our own vibe now as a unit, but now we just brought something external into us and we need to know what this is all about. Now, that other dog, oh man, this is good. The other dog got out of the car and it's pulling the owner to the dog park. And so it's really hyper. It's really excited to go do zoomies as soon as it gets in whereas everyone else had ran run around that's inside. They've already checked things out. They've sniffed the area. The other dog is ready to go sniff the area. It's ready to meet everyone. Everyone inside has already met. And so you have this really excited dog coming in and these other dogs that have already kind of figured it all out. And so this new dog coming in has shifted and changed up the energy. And mm. that like, can be a good thing, but not always. You see okay. how how it can be really just changed up by through one made one fundamental change. Absolutely.
1: Yeah. Okay. So we avoid dog parks. We take them for walks. Yes.
0: But they need socialization, right? And so- right.
1: Yeah. So let's go back to that aggression socialization piece.
0: Yeah. So we definitely must have socialization. And and what you can do is if you see someone at the dog park, let's say you're like, yeah, I don't care what Ryan says. I'm going to keep going. Well, how about we compromise? Because I really like to compromise with dogs and people. So what does it look like if we were to say- you know, I've seen this person coming often and their dogs chill. They seem nice. They always say, hello. Why don't we reach out to that person and maybe a couple of others and set up our own private play date where we know the dogs and we know the people. We like the energy of both. Now it's a positive experience versus a bunch of strangers meeting up, don't know anyone's energy, then things can potentially get bad. So I'm not discouraging socialization. I'm discouraging unhealthy socialization.
1: That's a great distinction. Really good idea. I think that fear is that I'm like, if my dog is starting to act aggressive or weird, I feel like, gosh, I, I'm scared. So I, 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 I know I want to withdraw and keep him at home more, but at the same time, I know that's not good for him. I don't want him to be that, that dog who's stuck at home looking out the window thinking everybody's (laughs) the enemy. So make some play dates. That's great. And then what else can we do? What else can we do to, to sort of shift that spatial, the possession, the, I guess, get him more friendly
0: Get them more friendly, but also have more awareness and be your own dog's advocate. So what Mm -hmm. I mean by have more awareness is be next level, responsible dog owner, learn dog behavior and psychology. I'm a big believer in reading body language. So I teach people how they can reach body language in actually the online course. And there's like 10 videos specifically about reading body language. And it goes deeper than, hey, that wagging tail, the dog's happy because a wagging tail does not mean happy. It can. A wagging tail means excitement. And there's uh, good and bad excitement in life. And so I teach you how to read the entire dog's body language. And that matters because we need to be our dog's advocate. So when Hudson is feeling triggered or stressed, it's our job to recognize it in our in our babe. And then having enough as a skills as a handler to get other dogs to back away. So I live close to the beach here in Orange County, and my dog and I, we run on the beach often. And when dogs are being a bit rude to my dog, or if they charge him in a certain way, I know it will trigger him. I use my spatial awareness, and this is one of the secrets, to get that other dog to back away. I use my own presence to get the dog to back away. And so that's part of me being Zeus's advocate, not let Zeus getting stressed out. Because I know that that dog's energy is going to bother Zeus. Zeus wants a particular type of dog to interact with as it relates to personality and energy. And I facilitate that. And that's exactly what we do on our private meetups like meetup.com or our private playdates. And so that's something that we can all do is set our dogs up for success, is to know how to read the body language when the other dog is going to be triggering and when our own pet gets triggered. We got to be, you know, be their biggest fan. Can I tell you, man, that, that
1: um, Ryan is really nice to hear from an elite dog trainer like yourself that's worked with so many thousands of civilian and military dogs to say that your personal dog can get triggered. In my head, I always think, you know, I think of like a, a golden doodle or a, a Labrador, you know, one of the, say the mild mannered breeds, quote sure. unquote. And I think, oh, you know, whoever my dog is, my responsibility is that I should get him. He should be the ultimate happy let everything go, you know, but it's like, nobody's like that. And to know that no humans are like that. I don't think even healthy for me to say, I'll let any behavior go. There's certain behavior with humans that I'm going to go, Whoa, what are you doing, buddy? Get out of here. That's right. That's right? right. So you're yep. saying it's okay for dogs to, to kind of be choosy with the energy and with the personalities. Yes. want to advocate. So you support what's healthiest for them and helping to avoid or, or eliminate the things that are unhealthy. Is that fair to say?
0: That's a hundred percent. And friends, let's take it a step further and what? say this, that not all dogs want to socialize, but we want them to. That's part of the dream that we had when we first got the dog was to go and play and be social. And, but you know what? Not all people are social and dogs can be the same way. Okay. And so do not force it. That's why we need to know how to read the body language and just know what, know the essence of your animal. Okay so that we can give them the best life possible. Maybe your dog's totally content with not meeting other dogs, or maybe your dog really craves it. And if your dog craves it, we want it to be healthy and balanced. That's all.
1: Hudson craves it. I like that though, but there's Sargent, the other wiener dog, two blocks over, we met at the dog park that my wife is connected with. That's wonderful. So we can play date with them. We have friends a couple blocks the other way with a dog, Brody, who's a big dog, but they seem to get along really well. So hanging out with them just together or in the house or something is a great way to do it rather than the dog park. I love that. Um, And then last thing is what, if, like say on leash aggression, say we're going for a walk and he starts, there's a dog across the street. What do we do about that?
0: Let's address that. And then also when you just shared what you had, uh, I need to just point out that we would want the dogs to meet on neutral ground. So Uh, what I would propose is we go for a walk together as a pack. Then we go inside the house or the backyard. That's very, very important. And then Matt, I wanted to actually do something. I don't know that I've ever done this before on an interview is I'm going to give you a gift that I give the exclusive people in my membership where um, I want you, if you would like to, send me a video of the play. You send the video. I will assess the video and I will break down what's happening for you. If you send me that video of that play, I want to make sure that Hudson's getting the proper fair play that's a win for everybody. So I wanted to give that as, as a gift of essentially me assessing a, a socialization video for you. Oh my work? gosh,
1: that's so kind. That's amazing. Thank yeah, you. man. Yeah, so now, that's something you do in your members group, which by the way, we should, we should probably plug and check this out. Um, the website is worldofdogtrainingonline.com.
0: Exactly.
1: Worldofdogtrainingonline.com slash DIY. It'll be in the show notes if you see the show on demand. Um, you can get a whole free week of DIY dog training on demand. There's an e-course Ryan's created, as you talked about and alluded to. There's a whole membership community. There's a course for it. There's deep, deep training on this. If you have a dog or you want to get a dog in any capacity, no matter whether they have problems or not, this is something that's going to be so huge and beneficial. So make sure you go check that out again, world of dog training, slash DIY. Um, and you get a whole free week, uh, check it out and enjoy it for a week and, and make the changes. And I think you're going to fall in love with the community.
0: Yeah, that's pretty cool, man. Thank you for that. Now let's address this whole leash pulling thing. Now here's here's the thing is I talk about, and we mentioned this in the course that the walk starts in the house. You see what we do, Matt, is we're like, are you ready to go for a walk? Are you ready? Are you ready? So we hype the dog up and then we're like, oh man, dog's so dang hyper going on the walk. It's like <laughs> we conditioned it, friends, because it's fun to see our dogs hyper. It is. Right? Especially so it's this, when they're this cute. balance. Exactly. It's this balance of All right. Well, if we're going to condition it, do we really want to have this end result? So just be make an informed decision, right? On our actions. So if I hype the dog up, just know I'm setting the wrong tone for the walk. So if you're okay with the dog pulling, maybe don't do it. If you're fine with pulling, no problem, right? So number one starts in the house with dog being calm. Okay. Uh, Number two is make the dog wait at the door. So you're the first one out, sets the tone for the walk as well. Now, There's particular ways to hold the leash so that it feels nice and relaxed for both you and the dog. Now, a lot of us hold the leash like a bird's nest. That's not going to be a good start. And the other part is when we encounter a distraction, what do we tend to do, especially with the bigger dogs? We use our left hand or our opposite hand that's not holding the leash and we grab closer down to the collar, or the buckle, right? And so when we do that, think of the be your, be the dog for a second, everyone. Be the dog. Imagine what is the signal we're sending to the dog. Be on the receiving end of that, okay? So the other hand grabs that leash even more so. We have conditioned that something is about to happen,
1: right? Yeah, so we now it's anticipation. That's right. It's we, and we're also getting our energy. Like I get my energy a little more tense, a That's little right. more anxious because I'm like, oh, no, I don't want him to bark and go crazy again because he always does that. Yes. Now I'm more tense. And then I'm going to pull and I'm going to be, have more tension on the leash and everything. So he's going to feel that.
0: Yes. Now pulling, pulling is what the public does. That's, that's Matt you and and the other dog people that are not dog handlers yet, but you all can be very soon. Yeah. And, and so the secret Matt, rather than a pull, is what I, I developed. It's called loose pop loose. And it's a technique that you give a leash correction. Remember, correct when when the dog needs to do something better and reward when impressed. And so I teach you all how to be proactive and not reactive so that we can catch the dog before they begin to lunge, before they begin to whine or bark towards another dog. I teach you how to read the signals ahead of time, number one. And then the other part is the loose pop loose technique. And so really that looks like this. The leash needs to be loose. It cannot be taut. Then you snap it with your wrist. It's a very snappy wrist um, action, reaction, should I say. And it's very quick and dynamic. And then the animal's like, oh, wow. Now, it also depends upon the type of collar that the dog is wearing. Okay. So there's, There's different types of collars. There's the flat buckle collar, there's harnesses, then there's choke chains and prong collars. And so the type of collar, this is kind of a more in-depth explanation that we don't have time to get into, but I'm happy to help your audience figure that out as well for their specific dog. But the collar matters. We tug the leash in a snappy manner called loose pop loose, not a pull. Pull is going to just create an oppositional reflex. You pull back, dog's going to pull forward. You've seen it time and time again. Uh, And then the other part is to be proactive and not reactive and understanding how to read the dog before they start lunging or barking, okay? Now, let's say that we got our dog calm. That's when we reward. And again, it's very high value to be like, I am so proud of you. I'm so impressed with you. And now there's one piece that is often not talked about. And that is we are concerned with how it's going to go. But what happens if we start to walk with our arms relaxed, with our chin up and our chest out, and we're confident that our dog is going to make a right choice. What happens if we shift our mindset? And this works with our own personal life as well, right? It does. If we shift our mindset and have more confidence in ourselves and our dog, then you'd be amazed at what can happen. I, for me, it's like intuitive kind of stuff. It's almost feels spiritual. And it's, it's very unique. It's, I call it the highest level and the finesse in the art of dog training. It's very fun. and um, But to get there, sometimes it takes a better knowing of our animals and knowing how to read them. And so I, I'm happy to facilitate that for those that are ready.
1: <laughs> and you're really, I mean, you're just taking on the psychology of expectation of oh, this is how it is. This is the reality I'm creating in a way. There you go. And, and I feel it. I know it. And I'm going to walk as if and What it sounds like is, you know, the dogs can sense the energy and they might not do that, right? They might not be exactly what you expect them to be. But if you expect it, would you say they're much more likely to fall in line with that energy?
0: 100%. Because number one, our dogs are are followers. They look to us for guidance. Number two, and this this can highlight everything we talked about with leash. Just remember this, that energy runs down leash. Okay. That's all you need to remember. Everything runs down leash. Starts from you, goes down leash. That's really
1: good. (laughs) <laughs> that's the most succinct way to explain all of dog energy and psychology
0: there you go man <laughs>
1: awesome well listen I, I've kept you much too long thank you for for jumping in as much as you have uh, with all the questions and everything um, final question man you know looking back at everything that you do if there's anything that you could change in your life any experiences that you would go and redo differently would you change anything or would, I would. you leave it all the same
0: I would. And in the past, I've answered it as no, I wouldn't. And, and for today, where my mindset is, the one thing I would want to change is that I had wished that I was of more service sooner in my life. I mm. waited until I was like 35 years old. And I wish I was sharing my gifts and talents sooner with people.
1: Man, that's well said. I appreciate it. Well, Ryan Matthews, everybody. Thank you, Ryan.
0: Thank you, Matt. It was a great time.
1: All right, guys. That's the show for this week. So listen, that was Ryan Matthews. Wow, um, we went way, way extra on time. So I hope you you love that. We I, I just want to keep on going because look, if you want to stop halfway through because you don't have a dog, all good. You got a good story. But man, if you have a dog or you ever will, or you have a friend with a dog, like you know, you gotta be careful about how you give the advice. But you know, most people if they have an issue with their pet you know, they're pretty open to some simple solutions and Ryan is full of them. So you can follow Ryan on Facebook and LinkedIn at I am Ryan Matthews. I am Ryan Matthews on Facebook and LinkedIn and then grab a free week at dog training DIY. Join me in the course. I'm going to be in there as well and checking this out and trying to get Hudson to obey, trying to get him to make him stop whining. We're going to reward him with high value uh, treats for high value behavior and Spray bottle in every room, there's some good stuff in here. And again, you can get that at worldofdogtrainingonline.com/DIY. That's it for me this week. I am out. Get out there and have a great weekend. Stay driven, do what you do. Um, and as in the words of Ryan Matthews, be of service as early as you can in life and in your business. All right, love you guys. I'll see ya.
0: Bye
1: Bye bye.